ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. If I hadn't come here, I probably wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. It's a profound experience coming to a place like this. Australia's longest-running and most successful drug and addiction rehab centre, the Butter Factory at Binnaburra, or the Buttery, as it's better known, is celebrating 50 years of service. It's a place of pop culture significance, being referenced in Paul Kelly's iconic song, To Her Door. But there are concerns it might not make another 50 years, despite increasing demand as the fallout from the pandemic continues to fuel Australia's addiction crisis. A big part of addiction is denial. And so, you know, you can, there were people here who made me actually realise what was going on. You know, addiction is not a little thing. I'm Alex Simon, and this is Australia Wide, coming to you from Wajak Country, Perth. But firstly, new figures show only one in ten Australians are prepared for a natural disaster, despite knowing they'll likely be hit by one. The Australian Red Cross says a well-prepared property is more likely to withstand a natural disaster such as a bushfire. But there's also a psychological advantage in having an established emergency plan. Liz Gwynne prepared this report. Stuart Barry's home is surrounded by nature and it's got beautiful views of Kunanyi, Mount Wellington and the River Derwent. Domestic and native chickens roam free and it's a really peaceful and quiet place despite only being a 15-minute drive from the centre of Hobart. It's a lifestyle Stuart and his wife Rosie always dreamt of, but they admit it does come with serious risks. It's a real trade-off living at the bush. You get the beautiful lifestyle, but particularly in a world of climate change, it's also a very scary place to live. So it's very much in our mind about what's going on uh, in the world at the moment. Conducting their own controlled backburns and removing firewood and other flammable material from around the home are just some of the ways the family is preparing now for summer, as well as stepping up firefighting capabilities. So our initial tank's uh, 17,000 litres, uh, which is quite a decent size to fight a fire. The intention with tank number one is that as the fire is approaching, we'll use that to be outside and actively defending the house until the radiant heat gets so bad that we go inside. The reason we've got a second water tank is we wanted to back up on the assumption that when the fire front hits and it's extreme heat, that that may stop functioning, it could melt, the pump might be gone at that point. So that's why we're putting in a second tank. Stuart and Rosie have an emergency plan in place, which they designed with the help of the Tasmania Fire Service, the Australian Red Cross and other guides they found online which gives you all the prompts about what you need to be thinking about. Um, things like personal effects, where are they going to go, what are you taking, what are you not taking, animals, things like that. Stuart believes being prepared mentally and physically will help him and his family when they do face a severe weather-related emergency. So you've got to be mentally prepared because the danger is that it gets here and it is that scary and then you panic and try and leave and it's too late at that, t- at that point. So we've got to be locked in ready and prepared for the horror of what it will be like. Mother of one, Lisa Villeneuve, lives on the outskirts of South Hobart and her property is also surrounded by bush. 
She has a suitcase packed with essentials and will leave if a bushfire approaches. But she also knows if her plans change for whatever reason, she can call on her neighbours for help. Having a really clear plan of what you're going to do takes a lot of the guesswork out, so that um, if there actually is a fire coming over, hopefully I'm already well away. I've got my stuff. Um, you know, it's just not nearly as stressful. Lisa is part of the South Hobart Sustainable Community Group, which has been conducting mock emergency drills to ensure people are prepared for real life disasters. Residents who took part in the exercise received a text message urging them to leave their home and head to an evacuation meeting point. It's really helped to highlight gaps when it comes to bushfire emergency plans in particular. They definitely felt like having a test run especially, like getting to practice it was really beneficial um, and thinking through... Um, what they would need to do, the different scenarios, but also getting a sense of how you feel when you get that text message, how your thinking changes. Um, so as much as I think that we can do to to try to anticipate how we might react in that situation is really helpful. The Australian Red Cross says a well-prepared property is more likely to survive a natural disaster, but there's also a psychological advantage to having an established emergency plan. You don't know exactly how you're going to react. It's a very stressful time. So if you've kind of done that testing psychologically and physically, been through some of those steps, it's a little bit more both prepared, but then you've already anticipated how you're going to start that recovery process. A national survey found that while 66% of people anticipate an increase in severe weather-related emergencies, such as heat waves, floods or a bushfire in the coming years, actually only one in 10 people were prepared. The correlation, therefore, we need to build is encouraging people with that awareness now to take the next step to get prepared. Across the country, there are 137 local government areas flagged by the Australian Red Cross as most at risk of hazards from heat waves to bushfires, flood events and storms. People are encouraged to start preparing this Get Ready Week. We encourage everyone to download the Get Prepared app, which is a fantastic tool. And you can do your app anytime. You can start and stop it. You can amend it. We do, though, of course, also have other resources on our website. So you can download the plan itself and very easily step through those steps together. Maybe you want to do that as a family or within your community or with your neighbour. And then we also have resources in other languages, including Auslan, Arabic, Arabic and so on, some information sheets around why it's so important to get prepared and what are some of the simple steps that you can take. That's Australian Red Cross Chief of Staff Penny Harrison ending that story from Liz Gwynn. To New South Wales now, where representatives from Newcrest Mining have used a public inquiry to apologise to residents near Australia's biggest gold operation after they raised health concerns about dust coming from the mine site. The hearing was triggered by alleged dust pollution breaches at Newcrest Mining's Cadia Gold Mine in the Central West and the discovery of heavy metals in nearby residents' blood and rainwater. Our reporter Joanna Woodburn has been at the hearing today. Joanna, who represented Newcrest today and what did they have to say? Yes, Alex. So the Newcrest Mining is the parent company of Cadia Gold Mine, which is just on the outskirts of Orange and Central Western New South Wales. And the interim 
Chief Executive Officer of Newcrest Mining, Sherry Dewey, represented the company, and the General Manager of Cadia Gold Mine, Mick Dewar, was there, and both were giving evidence. And they gave an overview of the mine's operations and um, talked about the concerns about dust pollution um, that had has been reported from the mine site, reported by residents and reported to the EPA. In the past few months, the mine has admitted that dust pollution has been occurring on the mine site, but it said that it's taken a number of steps to bring the mine back into compliance with environmental standards. The interim CEO, Sherry Dewey, took the opportunity to basically apologise to the community for any issues to date, so the way the mine has liaised with the community when it's when people have reported concerns, and um, we can hear a little bit about what she said to the inquiry today. We haven't always gotten things right. Recently, we've seen a breakdown in our relationships with some of our neighbours, and we know they have concerns. We could have listened more and communicated better, and for this we are sorry. That's Newcrest Mine Interim Chief Executive Sherry Dewey. And Joe, what events led to this inquiry being established in the first place? Well, the Environment Protection Authority started investigating Cadia Gold Mine earlier this year, a um, couple of months ago, when residents brought their test results to the Chief Executive Officer of the EPA, test results showing high levels of heavy metals in their blood. And they had also done testing of their rainwater tanks, which had returned high or elevated levels of heavy metals in that water. The EPA started investigating, and since then there's been quite a lot of media coverage and a lot of concerns raised um, sort of in parallel to what's being reported in the media Two other communities in regional New South Wales, one at Blaney, which is east of Orange, and one in the Mudgee district, so north of Orange, there are proposed mines that are going to be built in those areas. So at Blaney, there's a gold project which recently received approval. It's set to be built. And then a lead, silver and zinc mine that's going to be built near the hamlet of Louis, which is in the Mudgee district. And both of those communities have also raised concerns about the potential health impacts that they could be facing and the planning processes and approval processes that these projects have gone through to reach approval. And so those three kind of mines and the issues surrounding those mines or concerns surrounding those mines have triggered this state parliamentary inquiry. And what testimony have, was heard from affected residents? Well, we heard from all three communities today. So the residents, two residents from the Cadia district um, took up basically um, a lot of the morning's evidence after Cadia bosses gave their testimony. And it was representatives from a local community group that was established um, in the wake of concerns about dust. And both of those women who are farmers in the Cadia district talked about their efforts to try to get authorities to listen to their concerns about dust, talked about their efforts trying to um, have have dialogue and get action from the mine itself to, to address some of these concerns or to acknowledge some of these concerns. And they talked about the fear within their own communities, um, people who have found or who have elevated levels of heavy metals in their blood um, and their drinking water. I will say that the mine has repeatedly denied it is the source of the heavy metals. Um, there have been quite a few studies conducted in the last few months, um, or the results have been presented in the last few months, which the mine says shows that there is no connection. 
I will say one of those reports which looks at the lead, the, they can fingerprint um, lead so to determine whether or not it matches the, the lead from the ore at the mine. One of those reports did come back to say some of the, some of the water tanks did have uh, lead matching that from Cadia, but the mine has repeatedly said that it isn't the source and that is um, the dust pollution is subject to this court action which is in the Land and Environment Court in New South Wales. The Louis near Mudgee, those residents and the people at Blaney all had sort of very similar concerns, as I said before, concerns about the way that the planning process was conducted, whether their voices, whether they believe their voices were heard during that planning process, and their concerns about the the rigour that's been applied to the mine's approval. So what now for this parliamentary inquiry? So today's hearing has wrapped up. It's the first of four. There are three more coming, all listed to be occurring in October. So no doubt there are so far about uh, 200 submissions from what the committee has told the ABC, 200 submissions to this inquiry. Not all of them have been uploaded to the website yet, so they're gradually being uploaded. But there'll be more people, um, potentially some regional hearings as well. And then the last hearing is back at New South Wales Parliament. Our reporter in the Central West is Joanna Woodburn. Joe, thanks so much for speaking to Australia Wide once again. Thanks, Alex. ABC Australia Wide. As one of the worst snow seasons in 20 years wraps up, snowboarders and skiers are becoming increasingly concerned about what climate change means for the future of their playgrounds. Reporter Bernadette Clark has this story from Perisher Valley in the Snowy Mountains. This year's snow has been described as sticky and slushy, as the warmer weather melted away at an alarmingly quick rate. Snowboarders and skiers aren't only concerned that melting snow means less time hitting the slopes, they're worried about what it means when it comes to climate change. Backcountry skier and alpine ecologist, Australian National University professor Ken Green, says there has been a steady decline of snow depth in Australia. It's not something that's just happened. It's not something that somebody's making up. There has been real data collected over the past 70 years, which gives you a fairly good idea of what's actually happening. And so people just look at those data and it'll show them that there has been a major decline. Dr Green has written books about Australia's snowy mountains and he has measured snowfall since the 1980s. He says that he's markedly worried about the alpines, plants and animals who are struggling to adapt to changing weather conditions. So many of the plants and animals in in the alpine area are only found in those areas. And so what's going to happen is that a number of species are going to be able to move up and basically take over their territory and I can see that meaning the the end of a lot of species. Things are actually happening earlier, and also there are animals moving up which have never been there. Even 10 years ago, the wallabies are actually moving up in, in the snow, and that could be a real problem because if there's no snow there, the wallabies are going to be able to eat everything. Meanwhile, species like the broad toothed rats will be more exposed to predators like foxes and some plants are flowering earlier than usual. There's a problem there because a lot of the, uh, the insects are not uh, starting earlier. They're starting at the same time as they did you know, 40 years ago. And so they're actually coming out to look for these flowers and they've, they've done. So they're just not helping the plants from uh, pollination. Perisher Sales and Marketing Director Robert Lloyd says this is the worst snow season they have experienced since 2006. 
There is no doubt climate change is a serious issue for sure uh, and you know it's a challenging issue for our industry um, but with our snowmaking, um, our vast amount of snowmaking and further investment we can facilitate our um, you know, snowmaking throughout the whole season from June to, to October. The lack of people visiting ski resorts has a flow-on effect to an array of small businesses in the snowy Monero. Gateway towns like Adaminibi, more than 120 kilometres away from Perisher Valley, rely on people visiting the ski resorts. Despite this year's poor season, Perisher is remaining confident that visitors will return next year. Uh, we've been really uh, excited about um, the guests' uh, visitation to, the, to our resorts and um, with conditions being still really strong, um, where you know we're really confident towards the end of the season that we'll see still see a lot of our guests visit our resorts. Snowboarder and Protect Our Winters ambassador Ryan Backhouse from Gingerbine says it's sad to see the state of Mount Kosciuszko. A lot of emotions come up when you do see the seasons like this and you also know uh, through the data and the models that we look at um, that it's not a one-off. Protect Our Winters or POW aim to raise awareness on the impact climate change is having on Australian winters. We're hoping to educate people that to show them what the solutions are and kind of steer that apathy and depression over towards direction and motivation. POW has implemented rideshare services for people to get up Mount Kosciuszko and they're not stopping there. Uh, so what we're looking to do is educate the local populations and get people involved to be a lot more conscious of their choices around their own greenhouse gas emissions, as well as get them to understand how larger companies and industries can affect uh, greenhouse gas emissions. That story from Bernadette Clark in the Perisher Valley in the Snowy Mountains. And finally here on Australia Wide, a drug rehabilitation centre in northern New South Wales, which has offered help to rock and roll royalty, is marking 50 years of serving those most at need. The buttery was immortalised in Paul Kelly's redemption ballad to her door. And over the years, it's become Australia's longest running and most successful drug and addiction rehab centre. Drug overdose remains a leading cause of death of Australians, but those on the front line say it's not a priority of governments. Eloise Farrow-Smith has this story. Immortalised in Paul Kelly's iconic song, To Her Door, this drug rehabilitation centre near Byron Bay has a rich and recognisable alumni. One of its greatest fans is former Divinals, now Hoodoo Gurus member Rick Grossman. He experienced his own rock and roll redemption through recovery at the Buttery. I've got no doubt that if I hadn't come here, I probably wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. It was a life-changing experience coming here. It's a profound experience coming to a place like this. A big part of addiction is denial, and so you know, you can, there were people here who made me actually realise what was going on. You know, addiction is not a little thing. Australia has a drug problem, but according to John Ryan from the drug policy think tank, the Pennington Institute, we are a country in denial. I think it's accurate to say that overdose is touching people from all walks of life in Australia. And I don't think uh, we as a community really understand that. And to give it a comparison, the road toll is something that we're very familiar with, uh, but the road toll is less than the overdose toll, and it has been for a number of years now. So someone dying every four hours from a preventable death, I think it's a crisis. 
Moving to the country, the overdose rate is even higher. The overdose rate is actually worse in regional and rural Australia than it is in the big cities. We get a picture of the people that overdose from sort of high-profile street-based people who use drugs, but that's actually not uh, the picture of overdose in Australia. That's a distortion. They are a very small minority. We think talking about overdose is really important for the community to better understand what's happening, but also to really guide us in whether it's a priority to prevent further overdoses or whether we continue the Australian tradition of brushing it under the carpet. And I think that's been our approach. That's been the Australian approach, and I don't think it's a satisfactory way forward. In the bucolic hills behind Byron Bay lies the Buttery Drug and Alcohol Recovery Centre. It's a place that saves lives. Comedian, writer and social justice advocate Mandy Nolan knows this. I saw firsthand what a lifeline the Buttery is for people who are in crisis. You know, when you reach that point in your addiction, there aren't many options left for your recovery. And for some people, it is life and death. And for some people, just sustaining living with the pain of addiction is so difficult. So the buttery, a lot of people talk about it as a place of redemption and the place of hope. And I can really see that. It saves people's lives. This year, the buttery marks 50 years of helping those in need. And Mandy Nolan, together with writer and academic George Katzi, made a podcast. So I knew the buttery was turning 50. We need to hear the story. That iconic place, you know, that's sung about in Paul Kelly's song, To Her Door, that offers hope and redemption. I wondered, well, who is the buttery? So then I found out things about the buttery that I didn't know. I've lived here 32 years. But I didn't realise that the buttery happened about the same time as the Aquarius Festival, about six months later, that it was started by an Anglican minister who ran a drop-in centre for um, youth that were kind of floating around the area at that time. And also in the dairy industry, where Norco was consolidating businesses and changing the way they operated, which meant the buttery depot was left empty, which meant there was this amazing empty space that could then be repurposed. That kind of wouldn't happen now because those kind of empty spaces would be turned into wedding centres or something really commercial. So this amazing opportunity for a service to grow with the need in response to what was happening right then at the moment, I think has created what I think is the core foundations of a service with a massive amount of integrity. And it lives on in the way people speak of the buttery. People love the buttery. Buttery CEO Leonie Creighton has been at the helm for the past five years and agrees it's a point of difference for the drug and alcohol centre. In the 50 years at the residential rehab, remembering we started in 1973, we've had about 10,000 people through our door. And it's a very quaint organisation as well. We're unique in that we're older um, in terms of our facilities so you don't get here and get luxury Um, it is but it's in a beautiful location you know we're in the Byron Shire which is a fantastic location people say many times that they feel like they're being healed just due to where we are. It made 50 years, but Leonie Creighton says the facility is not ageing well. Unfortunately, we have a very ageing infrastructure here and it's not a sexy thing to talk about, but we need to connect to mainline sewer. And so our septic at the moment is at capacity, so we have to 
keep our beds at 25. But also staffing, our funding hasn't increased since 1999, so therefore we have less staff than we ever had before. Everything here is pretty much secondhand, and we're lucky that we do receive donations from our community. But I do believe that people who have lived quite chaotic lives before they come here deserve more. It would be fantastic if we had new buildings, new cottages, new lounges, new dining areas, but we don't have that. It is it is pretty run down. But the heart of the buttery is more than its buildings. Rick Grossman credits that difference with a big part of his recovery. What the buttery was and still is to a certain extent is called a therapeutic community and, and I think recovery works best when people, well I, I can only speak for myself really, I had to actually do it myself. I actually had to make the action, you know, and here we were constantly pulled up about being responsible for our actions and I think it's a great thing. The most common misconception about addiction is people say, why don't you snap out of it and just not drink? People used to say that to me, why don't you just stop? And I'd say, yeah, well, that's a good idea. Why don't I just stop? And then I found I couldn't. People who come here, they don't need to be torn down and ripped apart. They've already done that to themselves, you know, so it's very caring and it's all about building the person back up. You know, and uh, it's just one of those places that has always done that. If there were 20 butteries around Australia, you'd see a shift. He went to the buttery. He stayed about a year. Well, there you go. That is a mystery solved for me. I didn't know what Paul Kelly was singing about when he was referring to the buttery, but now I know. That is the buttery choir singing the Paul Kelly classic to her door ending that story from Eloise Farrow-Smith. And that is Australia-wide for this Monday. I'm Alex Hyman. I hope you have a wonderful evening. Cheerio. ABC Listen.